Typically, I'm preaching in, in series, so we're generally like in something or going through a book or something. But today, I just had a random Sunday, so I thought about just titling this sermon what Brian wanted to talk about. Uh, it's, it's cool to have that opportunity to be like, hey, what, what, what I think you know, I need to hear and all the stuff that I preach. I feel like it's stuff that I need to hear probably more than you guys. Uh, but this morning, I just want to think about uh, paying attention to God and what that might look like in your life and why I think it's a bit of a challenge for us. And I want to start by uh, showing a, a short uh, video from a very old movie. So go ahead and if you'll I'll run that for us, Jared. Yeah, so that's uh, Charlie Chaplin. I mean, by the way, kids are dismissed for Bible adventures. I realized I, I forgot to that there's like a million things going on today, so I forgot to mention that. But kids are, are welcome to, to head out or they can uh, stay in with us. And that movie, does anybody know the name of that movie? Anybody? Modern Times. So it's called Modern Times. And it was uh, released in 1936, which on some level is comforting because it's kind of, I guess, everyone feels that way about their times <laughs> in some ways. Uh, that, you know, there's always this, like, kind of just continuing, continuing, continuing. But uh, I, I think that we all would, would raise our hand, perhaps, and say, yeah, that's, that's how I feel at times. That it's just seeming like just the thing just goes faster and faster, and I'm just trying my best to um, keep a good relationship with my wife, a good relationship with my kids, a good relationship at work, and you're kind of, like, keeping all these balls in the air, and you're trying to figure out how, how I can, like, somehow be, like, a, a productive husband, productive person, productive friend, while also keeping everything up. And so the thing just seems to be going faster and faster and faster. And part of the reason for that, I would argue, is decisions that, that we're making. Things that we choose to participate in or, or choose to be involved with without ever thinking about, well, maybe I can take a step back from this. I have to give props to Abby Gibson. We were having a conversation about this recently. Abby, raise your hand. Uh, she talked about how she like, is very old school. She likes to write letters to people. And so if you want somebody to write a letter to you, get to know Abby a little bit maybe. She might choose to, no pressure, Abby. Uh, but that was so interesting. I was like, oh, that's awesome. She, she loves to just sit, sit down and actually handwrite letters. 
I also think of Barbara Bell, who's fantastic at this too. She always sends us a card on our anniversary. Usually it helps remind me. No, it's, I, I, generally, I generally know, but that's like my safety valve just in case. But she sends uh, a, a card to me, and she's always, like, in the week ahead of it, she comes to me and just says, hey, you getting excited for your anniversary? And it's just so meaningful. We don't do a lot of that kind of stuff. And honestly, it's not that hard to do. And if we just were a little bit more proactive, the way that we interact with people could really be a blessing. And I think, honestly, part of it is that we're just sucked in more and more to a world that's not really real. And there's a reason for that. There's a professor at at Stanford named Nahira Hall, and he said that technology has been built um, on what's called the trigger model. And there's billions of dollars poured into trying to get you to be in your phone and look at your app as much as humanly possible. So they have little rewards and they have little things to keep you going back there and to keep you in that space over and over and just like kind of continuing to choose to do that. So if you are addicted to your phone, probably all of us are on some level, it's not that you're alone. But we have to be careful and really consider what are the implications of this? What is this going to mean for like the rest of our lives, how we are connected with people? Uh, there's a guy named Sean Parker who was the president of Facebook, and he, he stepped away many years ago. But he now calls himself a conscientious objector to social media. And that's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Because usually, like, conscientious objection is, like, for war. You know, like, that's generally how that word has, that phrase has been used before. But he says, after being involved and actually, you know, giving us, being very much part of the blessing of, of Facebook and, and social media, he now has, has backed away. And in an interview talking about this decision, he said this. Should be up there now. Yes? God only knows what it's doing to our brains. The thought process that went into building these applications was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. We give you a dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked a photo or commented on a post, and that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you to get more posts, likes, and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing a hacker like me would create because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Sociologists are calling, like, it's kind of the world today. It's an arms race for your attention. It's the economy of attention. And most of us, and I would put myself in this at times, again, this is a sermon for what Brian wanted to talk about, continual partial attention is our new default setting, that you're there but not necessarily really there. There's a book that came out several years ago by a guy named Neil Postman, and he said it was in 1985. And his prediction, this was in 1985, was it's called Amusing Yourselves to Death. And it was based on, like, TV and how that was really dangerous uh, for people to be around uh, too much. His prediction was that there were two areas of society that would be damaged more than any other. Uh, they were the, the um, politics and religion. And he said about politics that TV celebrities would replace wise leaders— I don't, I don't know where I see that. Um, and in the church, depth and discipleship would be replaced by 
a lot of places have a very large church, but it's not very involved. Like, it's a place where you go and generally, like, you kind of feel pretty good, but you don't have a, a call of discipleship on your life. So he predicted this in 1985. So we have to consider a little bit about how this is affecting all of us and sometimes ask hard questions because it's just so easy. I, I heard that it's called the slot machine principle. Um, I don't know if you've played slot machines before. I have a few times in my life. But in slot machines, you have the ability to put in whatever is like your limited amount. So let's say you are comfortable playing the dollar slots, or you might be comfortable playing more high roller slots, up to you know, five, ten per spin. Or you can go all the way down to the penny slots if you want to just go really, really small, and you can just keep going. And then after an hour, you've lost $1,000. That has never happened to me. But perhaps it's happened to you, or you know someone who that's happened to. Because it's just a dollar, right? Just a dollar, and a dollar, a dollar, or a penny, and a penny, and a penny. And it's this inconsequential amount of money Perhaps you think it, at least you think that, and you just keep going. And the same thing, I would argue, is true of our phones. That it's just, you know, it's 30 seconds here, three minutes here, 15 minutes here. And it's just, it's just a small investment of time. I heard a study that said that uh, actually now people spend four times as much banking than they ever have in human history. And that's weird. That's surprising because you would think that you don't have to go wait in line at the bank anymore. But back in the day, which was like not that long ago, you just have to go in the bank and deposit your check. And yeah, it took maybe 15 or 30 minutes. But now you have an app and you can look at your bank statements as much as you want. You can just sit there and just like just look at it and look at it and look at it. So people are spending, even though it's like more convenient, you'd think we are spending less time banking, we're on average spending about four times as much as we ever have. And then we don't have time for each other. And it's decisions that we all are making. And I would argue that the most valuable commodity that you have is your attention. Because it's out of attention that you make a friend feel loved. It's out of paying attention that you have a good relationship with your spouse. It's out of paying attention that you're a good employee. It's out of paying attention that you send a card on someone's anniversary. It's out of paying attention that you have like good relationships that you recognize when things are out of whack. And we don't have a lot of time or space for attention. In fact, there was a study done just recently that said that attention spans were measured in the year 2000. And before the digital revolution happened, attention spans were on average 12 seconds. And now after the digital revolution, uh, another, the studies are done again. And that's gone from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. They found that a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds, so we're currently losing to goldfish. Uh, if you ever look at a goldfish, just go, wow, he's really good at keeping his attention there. And you wonder why I get paid to do my job having to keep your attention for 30 minutes. Like, that's just like, that's a lot of, like, eight-second periods. And again, this is just us. It's decisions that we're making, and there are people, really, really, really smart people who are paid a lot of money to think about how best to get your attention. 
And I would just argue that we can't go back to like a, a pre-digital age. I know that that's not possible. But how can we maybe just raise our hand and say, all right, I need to create some space in my life where I have some breaks, some parameters, some moments to, to step outside, to pay attention to other people, to pay attention to God? Paul is writing in a much different time period in Romans chapter 12, and he says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's pretty lofty couple statements. Don't conform to just do what everybody else is doing. And if you are willing to do that, then you'll be able to think about it. What is God's will for my life? What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? What are the things that, if, if I died tomorrow, that maybe I would say, oh, I really regret that I didn't do that. Instead of just doing what everyone else is doing, you can kind of just look around and think, I just need to keep up. I need to keep up at this pace and make this happen. But what if we could, one of the most countercultural things we could do is just find some ways to get some space and to put our attention to something that is more meaningful. Something that ultimately will fulfill us. So in the Amish community, it's interesting. We think of the Amish as anti-technology. And in some parts that's true. But a lot of the Amish communities, actually what they do is they just don't adapt technology immediately. So you might see a horse and buggy pulling and um, a chainsaw on the back. Because what they do is when technology is released, they don't all just go like, all right, we need to totally adapt that. What they do is they sit back, and basically we're all the guinea pigs. <laughs> and they sit back, and they go, well, is that going to be a piece of technology that's worth adapting? Is this actually going to build community? And so in many, almost all Amish communities, they've decided that the, the car was too much of a luxury. And their prediction was that if you were driving around a car, it would make it so you wouldn't actually have community with your real neighbors. That you would just the kind of breakdown of society because if you can just drive, you know, 20 minutes, it's going to mean that you don't have to talk to your neighbor Joe if you don't like your neighbor Joe. So they decided we don't want to adopt the car. I just realized there's someone named Joe in the room. That's not for you. Um, <laughs> that was not, not some sort of a shot. I love Joe. Um, but in the Amish community, they just stand back and go, well, is this actually helping people form community or not? And I think we could ask that question of ourselves and the way that we pay attention as well. There's a great theologian named A.W. Tozer, and he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. And the first draft of it was written overnight. Just, he was kind of in, in, in a frenzied moment uh, on a train overnight from Chicago to Dallas. And in that book, he writes this quote, To have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of life. And I think this would be something that we could all aspire to do. To have it some sense found like the peace and, and presence of God and, and yet to still pursue. I mean, this is what discipleship is. To on some level like know that you are loved by God, but then to still like pursue God as well. To recognize God deeply loves and cares for you, but then to continue to pursue after that love, to continue to follow the God whose scripture is is revealed as loving, generous, gracious. And the question that I would have for us is what practices do you have that help you to get to that space? To slow down, 
It's so interesting that a buzzword now is mindfulness, right? Everyone's like, oh, mindfulness is so good. It's like, yeah, Christians have been talking about that for a long time. But stepping back, thinking about the most important things, slowing down. Because I saw, doing like a lot of studies today, because there's a lot of, lot of research on this, and um, I, I found that the average American spends three hours per day on their phone. And you might be way below that. I know some people it's for work, but about three hours per day. So just think about it this way. Like if you had, had this experience, let me just set that up there. None of you, when you got your phone uh, or had it for the first time, you didn't go like, oh, wow, I didn't see you there. <laughs> like, I like that it has the candle for the ambiance um, here. But I, I, didn't, I didn't notice you there. And so if, if you spend three hours a day on your phone, and some of you are more than that, some of you are less, but if you spend three hours per day on your phone, that is 20% of your waking time. About, yeah, 20% of your time. None of you, when you saw an iPhone for the first time, said, I want to spend 20% of the rest of my life with you. And hopefully, right? Hopefully, hopefully you, you didn't have that experience, but you didn't like see, see it from across the room and think like, wow, this is like, there's something in my soul that tells me like, I just, I need to be with you. That's why we have this candle here, right? I mean, that's why the mood, the mood has, has, been, has been set. And nobody said that, but we do. We do this, and let me step on toes a little bit. Nobody would say, you know, I want to spend time with you instead of spending time with friends. I'm just going to hang out with you on Friday night. Or I'm going to pay attention to you instead of my kids. Or pay attention to you instead of my spouse. Or just be so distracted by you all day at work that I'm not actually going to really do anything productive. Nobody signed up for that. But this is kind of what we're all doing. I'll leave it here just so it stays up by the candle. So you can keep that image in your head. Because we are all guilty of this. And again, your attention is such a valuable commodity. And just by very simply stepping out of just the way that it seems like everyone else is doing this and the way that everyone seems to be doing things, if we could just step just a little bit out, I think we could so powerfully change the world. There's a poem written in 1920 by W.B. Yeats, and he said, turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hold, hear the falconer, things fall apart, the center can't hold. And I don't understand much of that poem, but that last line I understand. Things fall apart. The center can't hold. What is the center of your life? How are you practicing to recognize that there is a center? That there is something that we can go to when we're anxious, when life is just difficult because life is? What is the center that we go to, that we turn to when things are difficult for us, when they're hard? What's the center? What's something that we can focus our lives on? And put our trust in. In Genesis chapter 1, the very open of the Bible, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
it continues. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. The earth was formless and void. And the term that's used there is a Hebrew term that I love, tovu vavohu, which is just really fun to say. That the understanding of the, the formless and empty nature, the, the tovu vavohu of the world, is, is there's some sort of like the kind of chaos. It's more than just emptiness. It's that things were out of control. There were all of these, these energies and these things. And then what happens is God begins to speak and God creates order, that darkness is separated from light, and that all these things happen. It's this, this poem that is communicating that, yes, there was this some sort of like this chaos in life, and, and God comes in and begins to speak, and God's presence begins to give more order to the world. And I think that's a beautiful way to think about what our life could be like if we were to say, God, you know, you can't solve every single problem, but God, I'm going to just continue to bring my heart, my life before you. I'm going to put my, my trust, my hope into you. Because oftentimes, I think part of the reason that we're addicted to technology and one of the reasons why we have this trigger loop that just keeps us going is because we feel like we're out of control. And so, yeah, I can't control the world and my life is a little chaotic and there's a lot of stuff going on, but I can control my inbox. Though it's never-ending and it'll get another 100 emails tomorrow, I can go through these emails right now and feel like some sense of control. Or, yeah, I may not be able to, like, figure out all of this stuff, but I can in some, like, very small little way, like, respond to all this stuff or do all these things just so I have a sense of control around a life that at times feels very chaotic. I've heard it said that one of the major problems of the modern world is we don't think God can do anything. Like practically. We don't really actually allow ourselves to spend some space and to have our heart just turn in, in trust. So yeah, this day is filling me with anxiety and tomorrow probably will too. But let me just pause for a moment and recognize that God, you've been through this before. God, you are center. What would it look like for you in your life to in some way, some practical way, pay attention? Because I think that paying attention to God opens us up to all kinds of things. To recognize that there's a deeper center, there's a deeper purpose for all of us at times to say, God, what is it that is your will for my life? What would you want me to accomplish? Isn't that a better way of living at times than just seeing things as this like random checklist and it's all thrown at you? What if you could start by just asking the question, God, what, what do you want me to accomplish today? I have to tell you the story of my friend, uh, Amy. Here's a picture of Amy and uh, her, her family. That's my friend Jacob and their two kids, um, Ro Rowan and Portia. And Jacob I went to high school with, and so I'm friends with Amy. They, they live in, in the Bay Area. And um, Amy, when uh, she ha was pregnant with their second child, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Here's a, a picture of, of her. She experienced that. And she, uh, you can go back to the other picture if you don't get too sad. She was 36 years old and 38 weeks pregnant when she got the diagnosis. And she said it was incredibly 
difficult for her, especially because she couldn't be with her daughter as much as she wanted to. And she depended on her community from people donating breast milk and bringing meals and things. She said it was a time where she realized how, how blessed that she was. She talked, she sent an email this week about her, her struggle with that and, and going through that really difficult experience. But something she said that was profound and significant for her is she started to think about, like, what are some things that I want to accomplish? I just don't, don't know. And her prognosis now is, is very good. Breast cancer is one that is more treatable uh, than others, and so she's doing, doing well right now and cancer-free, which, which is really awesome. But she continued to reflect on that question. What is it that I want to accomplish? What are the things that I want to do to make a positive difference? And one of those things is she decided to do a recording of songs that she would sing to her kids. So that album is now available on, uh, it's on Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon. That's how you uh, would, would look uh, her up. And we have a little bit of audio from one of the songs that's really touching and beautiful. Chen. Now, now everyone's crying, of course, but, and I actually would really recommend, whether, whether you have kids or not, the music is, is just high quality, and uh, check it out. I know as a parent, we're always looking for kids' music that doesn't make us want to hurl ourselves in the ocean, so um, if, you have, if you have kids, um, I, would, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's just really, really, really beautiful, and she actually started uh, a organization just this week called Operation Ohana, uh, which she is going to use the nonprofit to help um, collect money to, for families who get a cancer diagnosis with young kids. And so I think she would say that her experience was, was hard and brutal and she would never want to go through it again, but she's started this organization, which I would recommend checking out. If you go back one slide, you can just see the name. You could write that down. She's having a special thing on Given Tuesday, but OperationOhana.org, you can check that out and, and give a bit to it. It'd be fantastic. But check out the music and spend some time supporting it because it's really fantastic uh, what, what she's doing. I can't help but think of how terrible that experience was and in, in some ways still painfully is, but that she would say, no, I'm glad somewhat that I did this, that I thought about, you know, I thought about where my life was going, what was, what was going on, and I wanted to think about, what did I want to accomplish? And hopefully we can all ask that question without having a, a bad diagnosis, right? Hopefully we can have the perspective to say, what is it that God really wants? What is, what is God's will for my life? What's something that, that I 
want to do because part of the reason why it's so dangerous for us to just have like not great attention spans and just be constantly going from from this thing to that thing is I feel like we breathe really superficial air all the time. And we don't ask the deeper questions of life. What is it that I want to accomplish with my life? Where do I want to be? And I think that comes from sustained attention in the presence of God. I think that we grow more as people. I think we think about the things that really deeply matter to us as we put our attention, not just constantly whatever seems to be coming at us, but in a different space. To not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead, transform your mind. Don't just do what everybody else is doing, but ask yourself how you could step out of that and say, God, you know, life seems out of control, and it was out of control last week, and it's going to be out of control next week. But God, can I trust you to be in this space? Can I trust you to be with me? As we close out 2019 and think towards 2020, I would just ask you to think about that question. What is God's will for you? What are some things perhaps that you need to say? You know what, I've been thinking about this forever and it just kind of keeps coming out in my head and my heart, but I just, I push it off to the side. What's something perhaps that you need to say? You know what, I've thought about that enough. Now it's time that I do it. Because it's beautiful, I think, when we ask that question. May we understand that our attention is the greatest commodity that we have. May we find ways to recognize just how important it is and how some times where we hit pause and focus our attention on the deeper things of life could truly transform the world if we all did that. Because it's really just a simple card in the mail. It's taking time to show love and care. Just being a little more present when you're around the table at Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving. May we all live for the deeper things of life and have a center that can truly hold us. Let's pray together. Father, we all struggle with this. May we find ways to just ask the question, what is it doing with my heart and my life that have this thing that's around all the time. May we recognize what truly is most important and seek relationship, seek time with people. May we ask the question, God, what is it that you're calling me to do? Because you're always calling us forward. May we use the time and the attention that we have to honor you to the best of our ability. In your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning uh, we have the opportunity to have a very joyous moment. Um, if you have not met Stephanie Langford, Stephanie, come on up. Yeah, give her a hand. Give her a hand. So, 
Stephanie came to our church about a month ago, and it's been such a blessing to get to know her. She said she had a list of about 10 churches that she wanted to try out, but then she found ours, and she's like, I want to be at that one. So <laughs> we're glad. We're glad that we were a list stopper for you. Um, and I've had the opportunity to uh, have some great conversations uh, with her about faith. And her husband actually is, is from Africa, and he does music, and he's in Africa until February. Um, so unfortunately, he won't be here today, but when she shared of her decision to him that she wanted to get baptized today, um, he was so filled with joy and said, just, just do it, go for it, and make sure they get some video. So we got to get, got to get some, some video of it this morning, but it's been so fun getting to know you over this last month, and I'm so thankful for you and uh, your, your faith journey. Um, but I wanted to just ask the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sin? Yes, I do. Awesome. Well, pray. let's clap for that. That's fantastic. That's really, really awesome news. And just simply I would ask you, what, is, what does Jesus mean to you in this moment? Everything. <laughs> I'm just so humbled and grateful that he's opened my heart and changed my life. Awesome. Amazing. Well, pray, praise God for that. Well, we are... We're going to go get, get ready up there uh, for, for this moment, and uh, then we're going to sing, sing while we're getting ready. So thank you, Stephanie, and we, we love you. Thank you. Carrie's got you. Let's all stand and sing together.